if you will. Romans chapter 7. And I will, you know, usually I don't do this because I don't like to take credit for things, but um, you can thank me for that special today. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, Actually, so I came in this morning and I I was telling them how I wanted to end my message and how I was going to read some lyrics to a song and and Brian said, well, we may be able to just do that and we'll move our invitation song to our communion special song. So the reason I say you're welcome is because we got to hear them sing another song that they weren't originally going to in a, such a beautiful way. And now we get to hear them another another Easter theme song here at the end of service that is going to be another beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, but until we get there, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7. And you can just thank me later. I know no one else said thanks, but it's okay. Um, I'm used to it by now. But Romans chapter 7. So I want to just kind of revisit two things that I gave you last week. Two things I gave you last week that uh, I realized might have, it's, it's going to help us set up for today. But it's also hopefully going to help you in your life. The first thing was I told you that I'm convinced that from the moment of conversion until the moment we die, the pursuit of our life should be perfection. I mean, we should strive to be so like Christ that we strive to be perfect. Not so we can boast in who we are or how good I am and how good you're not. But I'm convinced that living holy, righteous lives brings glory and honor to the Lord. Now, the second thing I gave you was to ask yourself, am I making God proud? By the way that I speak, does it make God proud? By the way that I live, am I making God proud? Is my free time making God proud? Is my search history making God proud? Or is my Amazon account making God proud? Uh, this is actually a topic that came to life at the uh, Keen house this week as we had our family worship time and I was instructing our two oldest girls to live, you know, to ask, their, ask themselves, are you making God proud? By the way that you treat your other sisters, are you making God proud? By the way you punch them in the face, are you making God proud? You know, by, by the way that you throw things at one another, are you really making God proud? Um, now I realize that thing one is impossible. That as much as I pursue perfection and as holy as I want to be, um, it's impossible. And I hate to tell you that. I know some of y'all thought, you know, oh, she's just perfect. Or he's just, no, they're not. They're not. So teenagers, I'll just set you up now. They're not perfect. Um, they do not complete you. They will cause a lot of stress. They will cause sleepless nights. She will want to pull your hair out. Um, they're not perfect. Those little children that, that you're just holding on to, <laughs> no, they are not perfect. Um, they are perfect until they start to move, talk, back, whine, and pout. Slam their doors and act like they think they are something. So, so no one is perfect. Thing two is something I wanted you to become more and more mindful of in our everyday actions. Am I making God proud right now? Because you and I exist to bring glory to God. So are we bringing glory to his name? Are we making him proud of, of the lives that we are leading? And then I considered something. Who here has ever had those idols that you always thought, boy, if I could just be like them. You know, if I just, if I could just be like them, maybe it was a celebrity, maybe it was a professional athlete, or maybe it was someone that you grew up looking up to and admired. You know, I can remember, um, when I was 18, uh, if you all remember this, the, uh, the World Series, or not, I'm not, not the World Series, the All-Star Game came to St. Louis. 
And they had the home run derby in St. Louis. And I can remember watching Albert Pujols on the screen. And he had this huge shiny necklace. And he had a slick bald head. And he hit home run after home run. You know, this is my idol growing up. Pujols is the man. And, and that night, my best friend and I shaved my head bald. And, and I brought out the little chain necklace that I got at like, you know, J.B. Robinson for like $93. And I was like, dude, am I looking like Pujols? If I could just, you know, maybe stand like so I changed my batting stance to match Albert Pujols. The only problem is it, it didn't really carry over very well. Uh, the bald head got itchy and the bald head got uncomfortable. The, the not, necklace didn't shine nearly as much and my batting average didn't stay very high for very long. Um, but I've always found like there's people that we look up to, you know, Tom Brady, man, if I could just have hair at 50 like Tom Brady has, or, you know, if I could just, if I could just be like them. And needless to say, we all have idols that we've admired throughout our lives. And we've always thought, if I could just be like them. And then we always tell ourselves, there's no way I could be like them. I mean, there's no way. I can remember playing baseball against very, very good baseball players or basketball players in our day. And one of the things that I heard a lot growing up, and if you coach and use this phrase, I'm going to ask you to use it differently from now on. But I can remember our coaches telling us, they put their pants on just like you do. What's that have to do with anything? You know, like, we're playing really good, I mean, athletes who are much more athletic than I am. Just because they put their pants on doesn't mean that their 95-mile-an-hour fastball isn't going away. Just because they put their pants on the same way I do doesn't mean they still can't jump over me and demolish me. Like, so, so there's times where we try to be like someone else and we always think there's no way I could do it. And to us in the faith, for many Christians, the Apostle Paul was that guy. Like if you ask a man, who do you want to be like? Other than Jesus in the Bible, a lot of people might say, Paul. I want to be like Paul. I want to be bold. I want to be courageous. I want to be strong in my faith. And, you know, Paul is uh, attributed to over a quarter of the New Testament. I mean, he's written so many beautiful letters and he's instructed so many wonderful young preachers through the gospel or through the epistles and you know, he's preaching the gospel to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. If there's anybody that I want to be like in the Bible, it's Paul. But then I always tell myself, just as I did my entire life, there's no way I could be like him. I mean, there is no way. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, the man that if you remember the road to Damascus, Jesus made it a point to come and visit personally. I mean, he, he ascends or descends down from heaven to, to kick Paul off of his donkey and he asked, why are you persecuting me? And then what he does is, this is the same Paul that Jesus blinded for a few days. And then if you remember the story of Ananias coming and visiting him, and, and he's baptized and he's fed, and then he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and to preach the gospel. This is that same Paul that has you know letters written by him that we read on a daily basis and that we preach to. If there's anybody I want to be like, it's got to be, other than Jesus, of course, the Apostle Paul. I mean, when you look at a man who knows the word, one who is very intellectual, very educated, very powerful, one that performed miracles, but there's no way. There's no way, right? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to read Romans chapter 7, and I want you to see in the Apostle Paul that you and I might be a little more similar to him than we thought, because perfection is my pursuit. I'm sure the Apostle Paul wanted to be perfect. I mean, the man knew the law so well and wanted to follow the law so well, he strived to be perfect in his, in his action. 
Surely he wanted to be perfect. Surely he was always mindful of the thought of, am I serving the Lord? Am I truly bringing glory and honor to the Lord? Am I making God proud in what I do? So Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 7, Paul asks, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what, I, what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Meaning there's nothing to measure it by. There's no means of righteousness or unrighteousness. So the law brings to, to us all, as it did the Apostle Paul, the measuring of holiness and the measuring of none. Paul goes on to write, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life, promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good by then bring death to be to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. Let me, let me just repeat that. Verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So... Now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. The Apostle Paul says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So what I want to do is I want to mention a few points that we actually have in common with the Apostle Paul. First one is we all fall short. We all fall short. At this moment in time, We are in chapter 7 of the book of Romans. Paul has already stated that all sin and have fallen short of the glory of God. All. All. You. Me. The people in front of us. The people behind us. The people that are on the television. The people that have all the money. The people that have all the popularity. The people that have all the followers. The people that have all the clout. The people that have everything that we desire. Everything that we long to have. Every, you know, every bit of more money that they make. Every bit of more land that they own. Every bit, every single person has fallen short of the glory of God. 
All of us. Even the Apostle Paul. He says in verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. Who can testify to that? Amen. You know, we have those times where we wake up and say, today's going to be a new day. You know, and we're all happy. And and then we do the, the same thing day after day. We fall short. We tell ourselves, okay, this time I'm not going to say these words to them. You know, this time I'm not going to speak maybe the truth in a hateful way. I'm going to be polite and I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be gentle with them. And then we just fly off the handle again. Or or today I'm not going to give in to this temptation. Today's going to be different or tonight's going to be different. I'm not going to do this. And then what happens most of the time we we fall short. And, and all of us fall short. You fall short. I fall short. And there's times here, who, who could just raise your hand to this? There's moments where you say things or do things and immediate, it's like almost simultaneously you feel guilty and convicted. Like I, I, I don't understand my own actions sometimes because there's no, there's times where I know what I should be doing, yet I do the opposite. There's moments where I know what I should say, and what I shouldn't ever say in that circumstance just, just comes out. You know, it's like open mouth, foot in. How far can we get the leg down before, you know, before I shut up? There, there's just times where, and I'm guilty. You're guilty. There's times where we just don't understand our own actions. And immediately following our words or our deed, we're just embarrassed. We're guilty as can be. We are strongly convicted by the Spirit of God, and we just ask ourselves, gosh, why did I do that? I can't believe I did that. I know better than that. Yet we do it, and we fall short. Now, the second point is, and and we'll kind of mesh them together here, the second point is, is that we are really works in progress. We really are works in progress. You know, last week I said that I don't want you to use that as a saying just to kind of excuse your own sinfulness. Like, oh, I'm just a work in progress. You know, I'll get there. Stop using it to excuse your disobedience. Don't use it to excuse your own sinfulness. Because my hope for all of us, my goal for you and for me is that we would sin less. That we would be more mindful of sin. That the Spirit of God would convict us. That the Word of God would pierce our hearts. We would be more mindful of our sin. We would repent of that sin. And that we would sin less. And what, what, if we're not careful, what we will do is that we will use our humanity as a means of justification or excuse, excuse for our sin. Because here is the one thing that you and I share in common as we did with the Apostle Paul, as we did with old St. Peter, as we did with every author of the Bible, every person that has ever walked the earth other than Jesus, is that you and I all share in common human nature. Human nature leads us to sinfulness. Human nature leads us, simply put, to failure. I mean, in our human nature, there is there is the inevitable of failure, that you and I at times will fail, that you and I at times will fall short, that you and I at times will do things and then we will wonder, what in the world was I doing? There are going to be times where you and I just fall short and it's in our humanity, but what I do not want us to do is to use that, well, I'm just a human or I'm a work in progress as a blanket statement to cover our own sinfulness and our own disobedience to God's word and to God's way. But Paul 
recognized in himself. This is the Apostle Paul. This is one that Jesus made a point to visit personally and to blind him and to knock him off of his ride to Damascus. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, this was Saul of Tarsus. And even he, after this incredible transformation and this radical change, recognizes that there's times I don't understand my own actions. And whenever you read the rest of that from 16 on, there's times where he does do what he hates. There's times where he recognizes this inner battle that you and I all share in common. This inner battle that we know what is pleasing and acceptable to God, yet we just do the opposite. You know, we know how it's pleasing and acceptable to speak to people, yet we do the opposite. You know, the, the way that we behave, the way we spend our free time, the way that we spend our resources, the way that we treat one another, the way... The way that we just live every day, we, we know that there's this inner battle. And guess what? You fight it, I fight it, Paul fought it. So, th- so we all share this in common. Don't think that just because I stand behind a pulpit once a week that I do not have an inner battle between knowing what is good and pleasing and acceptable to God, but then also having the urge or the desire sometimes to just do the opposite because it would satisfy the craving of our flesh. And this is why Paul says, in my flesh, it's all sin. If I just give in to the desires of my flesh, the lusts of my flesh, I would just constantly continue to do what I hate. And this brings us to a term that we that we briefly covered last week, and that I want to just kind of you know uh, dig a little deeper into. It's the term sanctification, sanctification, sanctification. This is where sanctification comes into play for you and I, because you know there's times where God doesn't approve of our vocabulary, but uh, that's just part of who I am. There's times where God doesn't approve of this habit, but it's just a fight. You know, it's just a little bit of here, a little bit there. There's. This is why we must. This is why we must be mindful of this process known as sanctification. So what is sanctification? Let me just layman term sanctification for you and me. Sanctification is this. The word of our Father, the Holy Spirit, working together to shape us into a greater representation of the Son. That by the word of God, by the spirit of God, we are made into a greater representation or reflection of the son of God. That as I say no to sin, see, sometimes we say, well, just, the desires or the urges are just so strong and I can't say no. Well, Paul told the Corinthians that in every temptation, God provides a way of escape. So if God provides us a way of escape, we might want to you know, consider that way of escape and stop using our humanity as an excuse to just continue to live in sin comfortably. Therefore, we don't have to repent. We don't have to say no. We can just use, well, I'm a, I'm a sinner, you know, I'm a work in progress. My goal is that you would be sanctified by the word of God, by the spirit of God, to be more and more like the son of God in all that you do to bring glory and honor to his name. And this is where a lot of people This is why a lot of people never change, because the Spirit of God will convict us of our sin. But if we aren't careful, we will just numb ourselves to that conviction and say, well, it's not a big deal. You know, it's just a little here. It's not not that big a deal. No one needs to know. 
And then we will just completely ignore or neglect the Word of God that clearly teaches on this particular topic or that particular topic or this particular habit or this particular temptation. And instead of responding to and obeying the Word of God and the Spirit of God, you and I will disobey, we will ignore, and we will numb ourselves to the convictions. This is why we never change. This is why we always fight the same battle month after month after year after year. This is why we continue to fall to the things that we say, okay, this time I'm not going to do it because we're fighting it in our own strength and it's a work of the spirit of God and the word of God cultivating within us a heart that is hungry for the Lord hungry to please the Lord and a and a heart that is truly guided by the Lord so this process of sanctification of the old me truly passing away and the new me being made over time. It begins at conversion and it ends at the very moment you breathe your last breath and you stand before him one day and you give an account for all that we, all that we say, all that we think. So point one was we all fall short. Point two was we really are works in progress. Now, I want you to use that phrase a little bit differently than maybe you had in the past. My goal is for us all to use that phrase. I am a work in progress, which is, a, which is an explanation as to how far I have come and how far I am heading in the direction of my Lord, that I am no longer what I once was. I'm no longer this man or I'm no longer that woman. I'm no longer that sinful person falling to the same things, but I am a work in progress, meaning I have been made new. I have been changed. The Lord is changing me from the inside out. Therefore, I truly am in progress. See, points two and three bring us to point three. Points one and two bring us to point three. And if we go back to verse 24, Paul says, wretched man that I am. This is the Apostle Paul feeling his own sinfulness, his own shortcomings, and thinking, man, in and of myself, I am just a wretch. You know, there's that old song that says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, that saved a wretch like you. Points one and two actually point us to the question that is asked by the Apostle Paul when he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Is it you? I mean, can you make things right with God in your own strength? (laughs) Certainly not. Am I one to tell you that in and of your own strength, apart from Christ, you would be lost you would be hopeless and you would be indebted forever? Certainly. Without Christ? Because, see, the same question that Paul said or asked is the same question that we ask. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Because when I give in to my sin, all have fallen short of the glory and the standard of God. All have sinned and the wages of that sin is what? Death. Who shall save me. Who could deliver me from this? It's certainly not you. So the same question asked by the Apostle Paul, and I'm just going to give you a side note here. Um, Whenever you read the Bible and you come across questions here, 
you really need to pay attention to the next sentence or two because it's in those responses or the answers to those questions that, that you find a lot about who you and I really are, who God is. In fact, it's kind of provoked me to, to uh, preach about the questions asked of Jesus after we get through Romans. We're about halfway done. Because whenever Jesus was asked questions and his response, you grow to understand better and better the nature and the character of who he was. And that's exactly what happens with Paul. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul answers it with the same answer you and I have. We all share it in common. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who can make up for the fact that I continue to fall? Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who can make up for the fact that I am still a work in progress, not really who I want to be, who I desire to be, who I'm striving to be, but who is it that continues to push me forward? Who is it that gives me a mark to try to set my eyes toward? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the question is for all of us, who can deliver me from this body of death? Paul says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me answer it maybe this way. Maybe you prefer if I answer the question this way. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, let me answer it to you this way. He, this is written by Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their eyes, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And like sheep, we have all gone astray. We've all fallen short. We've all, you know, given into our temptations. We've all made those same mistakes. We've all said those stupid words. We've all done these horrible deeds. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us. And Isaiah went on to write, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord has, or the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. We've talked about being made righteous by whom? Christ. He goes on to finish and he shall bear their iniquities. He shall bear their iniquities. This was written by the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, writing about the one that through one's death, all of my iniquities could be carried away. 
This is a, a prophecy written by Isaiah about one that would be stricken, submitted. He would be an outcast. He would be, he would be deemed set apart and, and he would be hated by the world. But in the one that was hated by the world, all of the people of God could be called his children. So this is why, this is why I feel this, this question that Paul asked. Who can deliver me from this body of death? Because apart from Christ, I am hopeless, I am lost, and I am indebted forever for the payment of my sin. But because of Christ, my iniquities in all can be carried away. Because of Christ, every wrongdoing you have committed can be carried as far as the east is from the west. Because of Christ, me who is unrighteous in my own right and who fights this temptation and who has this inner struggle can be made righteous in his, in his sight. And because of Christ, I who am spiritually lost at times or spiritually dead can be healed, restored, made new. And I who were once dead in my sins and trespasses, you who were once dead in your sins and trespasses can be what? Raised to life in Christ. This is why I want to preach until I die. This is why. Not because of the salary. Not because of, you know, the people are great. This is why. Because I recognize that apart from Christ, I would be destined to hell forever. I mean, apart from him being crushed for my iniquities being pierced for my transgressions, I would carry those iniquities and those transgressions with me for all of eternity and I would be separated from him forever and ever. So even though I fall short and even though I'm just a work in progress, apart from Christ, I have nothing to look forward to and there is no one who can deliver me. But Paul asks, who will deliver me? Jesus. Who will deliver you? Jesus. And here's something I wanted to read these words. And if you if you think about it, These words might come up here in just a moment for you to sing along with, with us. But there's a song written and it's titled Redeemer and it says, Who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? Who told the ocean you can only come this far? Who showed the moon where to hide till evening? Whose words alone can catch a falling star? The the next words say this, My, I know my Redeemer lives. I know My Redeemer lives. All of creation testifies this life within me, Christ. This testimony that, look, I don't need a Sunday pulpit to preach the gospel and to continue to share the good news of Jesus with the world. I don't care if we have weekly worship services for the rest of my preaching, that would be fine. But I will continue to preach the gospel, whether it's behind a pulpit or around a coffee table or even on the side of the street. Why? Because I have been saved. I have been delivered from the death that I was continuously living in and the death that I was adding to. And this song goes on to say, and this is the the cry that I think we all ought to have because you and I ought to live with an joy unspeakable. You and I ought to have such peace in life that we endure every season because why? My Redeemer lives. The words go on to say, the very same God that spins things into orbit runs to the weary. Runs to the weary, to the worn and to the weak. And the same gentle hands that hold me when I'm broken were the same ones that conquered death and bring me victory. 
Now I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. Let all creation testify. And the song goes on to say, He lives to take away my shame. And he lives forever, I'll proclaim, that the payment for my sin was the precious life he gave. But now he's alive. There is an empty grave. And I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. And you know, there's this part of this song that it's like one of the most popular few words repeated. I know that I know that I know that I know. I know my Redeemer lives. And because my Redeemer lives, I rest assured in the blessed assurance that those who are redeemed live too. That's why I hope all of us have a joy unspeakable. unspeakable. This is why I hope we have a peace that surpasses all understanding because I know that I know that I know that I know my Redeemer lives. And because my Redeemer lives, me as a redeemed person can live too. So once who was an enemy of God can now be redeemed, made new, and now I'm his son. And you better believe that I'm going to walk the rest of my life, not boasting in who I am, but boasting in the gospel of Christ Jesus, who saved a wretched man that I am. Saves a wretched woman that you are. The same one that was pierced for your transgressions and crushed for your iniquities rose on the third day and left the tomb empty and it's still there today, empty as could be. And he lives, therefore you can live too. You can live too. So my hope is that you leave here today after we sing this last song, truly believing that you are alive. You and I should possess a joy that is undeniable and unspeakable. There should be times in life where people ask us, how do you continue to carry on? I mean, there's going to be seasons in life where you and I push through and we navigate unforeseen circumstances and people are going to ask or wonder, how in the world do you do it? Because my Redeemer lives. What else do you need? What else do you need? Your Redeemer lives. So as you fall short, and as you are still in progress, just know, He's not finished yet, yet you are made alive. Let's pray.